Hello, hello. This is Reality of Reality. I'm Aliza Rosen, a longtime TV producer and development executive. Every week on the podcast, I talk to interesting people in all aspects of unscripted content. So before I introduce my guest, I want to talk about some of the stuff I've been watching this week. I have made some good progress this week as the holidays start to come and work starts to slow down a little bit. I can take time to do some binging, which has been great. I watched the full Netflix docuseries Room 2086, The Accusation. Really interesting. It's about Dominique Strauss-Kahn, who was the head of the IMF, and he was poised to maybe become the president of France uh, before he was accused of sexual assault. So I knew a little bit about the case. You know, I followed it in the news, but the deep dive was really excellent. Fascinating, fascinating documentary. I highly recommend it. I made it through four and a half episodes of The Flight Attendant on HBO Max. I tried. I just could not get into it. I liked it. And then I started not to like it. And then I start to feel like, why am I watching this? So listen, if you like it, let me know. I'm curious if I should stick with it. I am into Your Honor, which is on Showtime. It's only been two episodes, but I'm enjoying it. I think it's it's good. If you like sort of like that night of kind of crimey, dark, noir thrillers, it's pretty good. And of course, Brian Cranston, you can't lose. I started a docu-series on um, HBO Max, again, called The House of Ho, which is about um, a Vietnamese family that lives in Houston, very wealthy. Uh, I'm enjoying it. It's fun. It's very light and fluffy and, you know, shiny. You can see all of their rich toys, but there's some interesting family dynamics going on. And I like the way they weave in their culture and their backgrounds to the storyline. So I'm enjoying it. I would recommend it. And then last but not least, loved the Bee Gees documentary on HBO. Highly recommend it. I, you know, I'm a kid of the 70s and 80s. I loved the Bee Gees. Saturday Night Fever was my first R-rated movie. And that soundtrack, I probably burned a hole into my, you know, record player, let's say at the time. No, 1979. Um, It was a great documentary. Really just, um, you just get chills if you know their music. I think even if you don't know their music, you'd enjoy it. Just really well done. So today on the podcast is Vanessa Grigoriadis. She is a writer first. She's a journalist. She's uh, written a contributing writer at the New York Times, Vanity Fair, and also started a podcast company. They launched with this really great true crime series called Chameleon, um, the Hollywood Con Queen. And we talk a little bit about the story. It's a really interesting story, especially if you're interested in con artists, which I am. She also recently wrote a really great piece for Vanity Fair about the uh, Jennifer uh, Dulos murder, which if you know anything about that, I highly recommend that deep dive as well. She also did a series for Luminary about Ivanka Trump. We get into that, which I found fascinating. Also recommend listening to that. It's, it's, it's a subscription service, but it's, it's not too bad. And then lastly, we talk about a little bit about her book that she wrote about consent on college campuses and just kind of rethinking sex and the blurred lines that so often happen um, between men and women. So enjoy Vanessa and our chat. Hi, Vanessa. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you for doing this. I know everyone's lives are crazy, especially as we round toward the holidays. So I appreciate you making <laughs> no the time. Problem. I have, oh, feel I'm like I've been do it. I'm so happy. Thank you. I've been <laughs> I feel like I've been talking to you all weekend because I really like immersed myself in all things Vanessa this weekend. I, I basically Ooh. binged the entire <laughs> Ivanka podcast. I listened to you on Lance Armstrong's podcast. 
So I feel, uh, and I've wow. obviously finished um, the final episode of Chameleon. So I feel like mm-hmm. I'm a Vanessa expert. Rad. You and no one else. But maybe <laughs> after this podcast, a lot of people. <laughs> Let's hope so. Let's hope so. So I want to start with Chameleon because that's the one getting all the buzz right now. Um, I In my intro, I, I recommended it to everybody. It, it's such a, first of all, I love a con artist story. So like it had me at hello. And mm-hmm. you guys, I love sort of, um, I love the storytelling, the sort of casual nature of it with you and Josh. And, you know, one of the cool things, about this new medium with, especially with podcasts is that you can actually solve crimes and it seems like mm-hmm. you guys did that. So let's start sort of at the beginning. Like, why did you guys, how, how did it come to your attention and why did you guys want to tell this story? Yeah. Okay. So, you know, the podcast is about the Hollywood con queen, right? Which is a, a person who ends up being a guy, spoiler, spoiler alert, <laughs> <laughs> who, um, is uh, pretending to be all these female executives and calling up like makeup artists or physical trainers or whoever, all these people kind of on the low rungs of Hollywood and telling them that she, this executive like Amy Pascal or whatever has a big break for them. And all they need to do is like fly to Indonesia and they're going to have their big break. And, you know, they're going to be like the head of the department on some blockbuster movie and they, all they have to do is just pay their airfare over there and then everything will be covered. But of course they get there and they get like messed with and asked for all sorts of money on the ground for like driving fees or photo permit fees or whatever. And then there's just like no movie. Then it's like ma- majorly anticlimactic because there's nothing, then nothing happens. Um, but it's this crazy long running scam because it's been going on for like seven years and hundreds and hundreds of people have flown to Jakarta. So, um, you know, we took this on as a project. We heard about it. Um, and we started to try to figure out who the guy was. But then we were talking to all these people who are connected to the case who were like, oh, we're, they're going to know who the guy is in like a month. Or they're going to arrest this guy in three months. Or it's only a minute before this guy gets arrested and he lives, you know, in the UK. And then COVID hit. And so, so basically, so we, we decided to do the podcast particularly because we thought it was going to be solved, right? So we're like, oh, we're going to be part of the wave of people who, when this, you know, we'll start the podcast, then it'll get solved in like around our third episode. Then we'll be the people who report on it and we'll use all the information that then will be publicly available about the case being solved and who the guy is. Sounds like a good recipe, Right but it was like not such a good recipe because of COVID because suddenly, you know, law enforcement basically stopped like working on it and stopped arresting people and he did not get arrested. And then we had kind of a half done podcast. We're like in too deep to pull out. And so we basically started to find, try to find him ourselves. And we actually thought we weren't going to be able to do it. And then we had a, a break we were like, oh, oh my God, we just did this, you know? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think in a lot of cases, a lot of podcasts are, they're not so much solving crimes as they're bringing attention to who the person is who should have been arrested for the crime like 20 years ago or whatever. 
um, and putting pressure, you know, on law enforcement now to arrest that guy. But this was like an actual, like, I mean, look, this is my first time I've ever actually, you know, been a part of a team that solved a international crime. Um, so I do have to kind of toot our horse, uh, toot our horns a little bit because, you know, we spent a lot of money and we spent a lot of time trying to figure this out. Um, yeah. I mean, and I know, so I was pitching a con artist project a few years ago and it will come up in some of the meetings like, oh, is this the Hollywood con queen? And I was like, no, who's that? So they're like, well, it's yeah. this, you know, woman that they think might be a guy. So it, it was floating around, as you said, for a long time. What's interesting about mm-hmm. this con, you know, I started kind of studying cons on my own too, because I'm just fascinated by it. What's interesting about there's usually a playbook, and I think that this one fits a lot of the playbook. But what's interesting about this one is that it really doesn't seem to be about the money. It seems to be about the con mm-hmm. and the power play. So was that your impression as well? Oh, definitely. I mean, this is 100% like about, you know, freaking these people out and feeling powerful, you know, and like ruining somebody's day. Um, then there's a whole other aspect that I didn't mention yet, which is like, you know, when after all these super good looking male actors or stuntmen or whatever, who were, you know, then kind of, he would have like fake auditions with them over the phone. And the audition would always be like some sort of sex scene where he was playing the woman mm-hmm. and the like, you know, actor was playing the guy. So, Yeah. That was another part of it. Um, I think it was like a fetish. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And you guys did a good job of, um, you know, as much, as well as you could talking to people who knew him from childhood and in sort of like the years before mm-hmm. the cons like truly started in earnest, although it seems like, mm-hmm. you know, he was kind of always up to shenanigans. What's your best right. guess into his psychology? Like if you had to break it down, like what is up with this dude? Well, you know, we didn't quite totally figure that out. I mean, I think it's hard because, you know, we didn't interview him. So, um, I mean, the the guess is basically that um, certainly he was made fun of a lot for being gay when he was younger. Mm-hmm. And he was um, very, like, overweight. And um, people... Uh, made fun of him in Indonesia. I mean, this is all stuff that he said himself. Um, and that relationship with, you know, of being bullied, I think really kind of, um, colored a lot of who he became later. Um, but there's part of me that also believes, you know, we did interview some people who said, this is just a bad guy. Like, this is just a bad seed kind of, um, yeah. And that should be <laughs> right. part of it too, yeah. you know? Well, and that's interesting that you say that because one of the things that I thought was super interesting, somebody said, maybe one of your experts, that con artists usually cannot actually be rehabilitated, which makes me think mm-hmm. you're right. Like they literally are just born that way and it's like a defect. Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's like, yeah. Sorry, what? <laughs> no, I was just saying like, look at Donald Trump. Like everyone's like, oh, he'll change yeah. now that this happened. He'll change now that that happened. Like, no, never going to change. Yeah, definitely not. Right. Yeah. Some people are just like that. And whether that's because, you know, their mom didn't suckle them correctly on their breast <laughs> or, you know what I mean? Like, it, we don't know. Right. But. And the, the most fascinating thing and, and honestly disturbing thing to me was 
as you guys were wrapping up the series, you talked to people, at least one of them said, you know what? Like, I still would work with him. Like if he cleans up his act, Mm -hmm. were you just (laughs) blown away by that? Like that really upset me. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, I think that was a little glib maybe, but also, Oh, okay. I took it, I took it on the face. I mean, I thought it was and wasn't, it wasn't mm-hmm. or wasn't kind of thing. Okay. Um, I mean, look, I think people, you know, people are so desperate for a break in Hollywood. They'll kind of do anything, <laughs> right? Like that's what this podcast that's what is this really is all about. about. Right. Um, and, and, you know, what can you say about that? Like, how do you fix that? I don't know. I mean, there need to be more jobs for people like, yeah, okay. But, um, I don't know, I guess now it almost feels like a, like an arcane con because now people are much more interested in being like YouTube stars or whatever. So he should be like moving over from film over to that. <laughs> right. It is sort of old, an old fashioned con. Um, yeah. <laughs> now, now I think Josh started one of the, maybe the last episode of the one before saying that, you know, you guys were literally on a zoom call or zoom meeting with some Hollywood mm-hmm. writers that were pitching you sort of their version of the the scripted show. So I'm assuming that's mm-hmm. in the works. What can you tell us about that? Well, that is actually as far as it's gotten. So I don't know. <laughs> that phone call. <laughs> but uh, I mean, I think that, you know, I think we're going to see this in both like documentary and yeah, in documentary and um, dramatic form. Um, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's a, it's a hard story in some ways, right? Like, because it is... Uh, I mean, is it tragic? Is it a comic? Is it a tragic comic? I mean, what, you know, hard to know how to play it. It is hard to know. And I think it's interesting that you say that because um, there's a show on uh, ABC now called The Con. I don't know if you've seen it. And Whoopi Goldberg hosts it. And it's it leans into the comedy. And there's, you know, like a podcast mm-hmm. about cons that's sort of it's with comedians and I think that people do lean into the comedy because it's so ridiculous. But, you know, having sort of now become friends with one of the victims of a con, it actually sort of downplays how devastating it is. And I think you guys actually walk that line really well because you could tell some of these victims, most of them don't even come forward because they're so embarrassed and ashamed. And that's the thing I think people mm-hmm. don't realize is like, yeah, it's not a murder. Yeah, it's not, you know, sexual assault, but it's, it's humiliating and a lot of times financially devastating. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. I think it depends like, you know, where you're at in your life and what kind of person you are, how devastated you'll be. But yeah, definitely. Um, you know, and it's just depressing and sad, right? I mean, yeah, it's really, it's sad. It's for, kind of for funny. Everyone. I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of ridiculous. I mean, I think for the, <laughs> the people, um, like who the, powerful women who are impersonated it was also like super weird and depressing and scary you know that so, like everybody kind out. of got yeah that, yeah I mean, everybody was freaked out it's so creepy and I'm always amazed by the energy of these people like of the con artist like I can barely mm-hmm. get my shit together you know with one kid and a job and these people I think you said this and like they, I think it was in your podcast like that he's only sleeping like two hours a night or something. Like, I just, I'm always amazed by the energy. Like who has the time and mm-hmm. the energy to run, you know, 15 scams at once. It's just a lot of work. 
Right, 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 <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there was definitely some like mania, I think. I mean, who knows? I'm not a doctor, but right. feels like mania, right? Yeah. So I feel like I read somewhere that you guys are prepping a season two with a different con artist. Is that right? That's exactly what we're doing. Yeah. Can you tell um, us we're anything? We're actually flipping. Yeah. I mean, so it's not, it's, it's actually, it's not exactly, that, that's not exactly right. It's, um, it's about an FBI sting where the FBI is kind of the con artist. So it's about an FBI sting in Vegas. Um, and it's kind of like an American hustle in like 2020 Vegas. Oh, love that. So it's recent. Yeah. So it was recent? 2020? Yeah, oh yeah, well, not 2020. I think it's like, you know, 2014 or something. But it's like the idea that, you know, American Hustle is a very dated piece of work. It's amazing, mm-hmm. obviously. But this is similar characterologically and in terms of like being a sting um, and being a sting in which the FBI do not like comport themselves that well. <laughs> um, so, yeah. But the setting is obviously going to be much, you know, more recent. So you do these podcasts with Josh Dean. You two have a company called Campside Media. Did that come about once you started working on the Hollywood Con Queen or did you like by design or like how how did it start? Basically is the question. <laughs> um, so we started a company that um, we basically we it's so weird we started this podcast before we really had the company you know we decided we were going to do this as the first podcast for our company but we hadn't really like you know we'd incorporated and put up like a pretty basic website and all that Mm -hmm. but we hadn't really done much so we were um like you know we basically paid for all the production for the first like three or four months ourselves and the first scene, um, we went to Eddie's house, you know, the beginning of right. the first episode, you go to this guy who's a trainer and he lives in Ventura and Josh and I drove up there. And even though both of us had made a podcast once, we'd, I, I would speak only for myself. I'm not sure about Josh, but I mm-hmm. never handled a recorder before because <laughs> right. like, obviously a table, I table right. when I do like print interviews. Yep. Yeah. Yep. But that's like very, very different. And so, you know, I just bought this recorder. I asked the producer on um, the podcast that I made uh, about Ivanka to, you know, tell me what recorder to get. And I got the same recorder and I got the mic and like, you know, the SD card and everything. We like put it all together and, you know, we're sitting in this rental car. I'll really never forget it. I was like, oh my God, like, I'm like carrying this thing now and like, is this even working? And the tape from that interview is like seriously, like 30 different files. Cause I kept stopping and starting it because I was so worried it wasn't working <laughs> and like checking to make sure it was on. Yeah. Um, I've been there. And it's very uh, anxiety yeah. provoking. It, totally. And so, yeah, so we basically went, you know, Josh and I went to LA, we interviewed for the first episode, the guy, the trainer and then the agent at Atlas Entertainment, which actually made American Hustle, which is like big, you know, fancy right. film production company. Right. And we went to a meeting of like eight guys and I just put the recorder in the middle of the um, table and just like recorded them and we recorded ourselves in the car. We just kind of did as much as we could. 
And then we kept working on it in New York. And then, you know, kind of halfway through working on it, we got like funding for the company. And so then we were able to like pay ourselves back. So cool. By the way, I could listen to a recording of like an inside Hollywood meeting for days. Like that's fascinating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. I know we really agonized over that. Yeah, we really agonized over that because there were people who wanted to cut it. And I was like, we are not cutting that. Wait, why did they want to cut cut it? it? Because it was like, you know, because we've introduced Eddie and Eddie says, like, I'm going to tell you my story. I'm going to let my story be known. I'm not embarrassed. And then you cut away to like this <laughs> random meeting of Hollywood executives. And people are like, I want to stay with Eddie. Like, tell me the rest, you know. Oh, and I see. We, we made the Hollywood meetings the beginning, but it was so confusing because there were so many different voices. And nobody could follow it. There's like, what the hell is this podcast? I'm in a meeting with 10 people, like eight <laughs> of you guys. And then, yeah. and then Josh and Vanessa, like, what are you, and you're telling us the podcast isn't even about these guys in this meeting. Like, <laughs> right. what are you doing? I know. You know? So Podcasts are uniquely kind of challenging. That po- uh, that's something I'm realizing too. I'm producing a bunch of true crime podcasts now. And because you don't have the visuals, it's amazing how confused you can get with different voices. But like when you're reading the script, it seems so obvious, you know, and you're so close to it, but then you realize when a stranger is listening to it, they have no idea what's going on. No, it's incredibly (laughs) difficult. Like, I mean, we're, you know, working on a bunch of different ones now and it's like, it's insane how like different it is from print writing. And then I hear that people say, you know, documentarians are like, this is really hard because they're not used to using as much narration. Like at least journalists are used to working with quotes and we're used to writing blocks of narration. But, you know, I mean, I was trying to explain to somebody, they were like, why is it so hard to make it simpler? And I'm like, yeah, that is basically what you have to do. Just like make it simpler. But honestly, there's some scripts where you write it and then you listen to it and it's not even like, oh, that's too complicated. It's like, this literally sounds like gibberish. <laughs> like, I can't follow where you're going. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's really weird. It's yeah. a very, you know, I mean, I think it is part of why there, you know, there's definitely a very low bar to like podcasting generally, but the narrative podcasting, there is kind of a higher bar, you know? Yeah. I do. I know. I know. I can yeah. relate. So speaking of podcasts, as I mentioned, um, I, I know I'm a little late to the party, but I caught up. I wanted to listen to it for so long, and this was a perfect excuse, which is the Ivanka tabloid luminary podcast that you did about Ivanka Trump. And I find her such a disgusting person that I, I was, I think that's why I was <laughs> resisting it for so long. But I actually, I, it was amazing. I feel like I, everyone needs to listen to this. First of all, it's just like juicy gossip that I just was like eating up because, you know, I mm-hmm. love that shit. <laughs> um, and it's sort of like a lot of things that I kind of knew, like about modeling and her, you know, rebellious teenage years. But you had some great people talking and I feel like I got I I get her now in a way that terrifies me. But in a way that like when you put the whole composite together, makes sense. So for you, like sort of what was the biggest takeaway from the deep dive that you did on her? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I uh, can't believe I thought about Ivanka and only Ivanka for like six months. So I was like, oh <laughs> my thing. God, please, somebody help me. Um, <laughs> I mean, 
mean, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, it's a hard, it was a hard, it was a really, really challenging podcast to put together because, you know, not only was it a main character who's not going to talk to me, right? So it has to be completely ridden around constantly. But um, also, she never, like, tells the truth. So it's not even like I have some archival tape where she was, like, telling the truth. Right, you know? right. You just, just assume like, everything's bullshit, right? Yeah, like, always her voice sounds like she's not telling the truth. So you're like, oh, my God, like, I, um, I can't, you know, I can't use, like, we couldn't use that much tape of her. Um, it wasn't like that useful for us. So, I mean, what really saved me is, is, um, you know, I worked for like 20 years being a print writer, primarily for New York Magazine, but like Vanity Fair and the Times, blah, blah, blah. And I really, uh, you know, know a lot of people who know her. And I also know, I happen to have like a very um, weird, you know, connection to somebody who was super close with her. So I, um, between those two, like the person who was super close and then the people that I actually knew, and then I got a couple more sources along the way. But like when you listen to the podcast, like, Jonathan Van Meter, who's in the first podcast, yeah, he was great. who's a writer, who's like, he's a guy who like, he writes for Vogue, he interviews Oprah, he interviews Hillary Clinton, he interviews, you know, Madonna, Lady Gaga, like, when you're like a big, big diva, like, he's the writer, you know, he's like an old school, yeah. very well known guy. And, you know, he and I are friends. And so what saved that podcast is that he was willing to be honest with me. And then like yeah. the guy who wrote the book model, who knew all about Trump in the eighties and all mm-hmm. about Ivana, Ivana in the eighties. He's also my friend. I mean, these are my work friends mostly, right? right? right. But like, these are people that I've, I've known these people for 20 years, yeah. you know? So they know if I'm calling to, and saying, can you please do this podcast? First of all, they're going to say yes, which not everybody does. <laughs> right. Second of all, they're like, they're going to be real with me on the phone. And that was a very like interesting experience. Cause I was like, Oh, like podcasting, like it doesn't work if somebody is bullshitting you. Like it just does not work. Yeah. Like, you cannot listen to that voice telling you a story. If, if the person's telling the story is lying, it's so obvious. Right. You know, it's like, cause it's so intimate. Such a mirror. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I really think, like, that's what, you know, my producer and I, this wonderful woman, Shoshi Mishmovic, um, we, like, once we realized that, then we basically just used all of my connections to everybody, and we just said, okay, forget it. Like, the White House is not going to help us, <laughs> right. you know? Like, Jared's not going to talk to us. Like, there's not going to be a lot of, like, get here. But well, you got we Ivana, though. I couldn't believe you got Ivana. That's true. That was crazy. That's true. I could get Ivana. That was crazy. That was crazy. But you know how I got Ivana? I got her through a friend that I knew that I once covered a wrote an article about like 20 years ago. Wow. So, you know, I think it's just like the, the, I think it's a really good podcast. Look, it's on Luminary, which means a lot of people did not hear it. Maybe one day it will be released into yeah. the wild, like, you know, fiasco and like, 
Russell Brand show is now kind of, you know, I would love for more people to hear it, but it is a really good podcast and there is stuff on Luminary that you've never heard. So you might want to just, you know, move over to Luminary and see what you could find over there. But it's, um, <laughs> it's not know, expensive it's, it's, people. It's like $5 yeah, a month. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I did it. I signed up. Uh, I pulled the trigger. Yeah, right. and, and yeah. you also have my I friend mean, Jessica right. Pressler, which I lo- I didn't know that she and her partner coined Javanka. That's whole I was I had no oh my idea. God, that was so hilarious. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. The the like basically the story you're referring to is like, okay, so there was so Jessica Pressler, who's you know, this amazing writer who amazing. wrote the um the uh article that Hustlers yeah. actually, you know, what's her name? What's her name plays her plays in the J Lo? I forgot. No, who plays Jessica in Hustle? Oh, right. It's I don't, Julia Stiles, maybe? Was it? Okay. Yeah, not yeah, bad. I think it's I'll Julia take Stiles. that. I would take that. Yeah. Um, she, uh, <laughs> <laughs> she, you know, I interviewed her because she worked in her magazine. She covered Ivanka. Right. And she said that she and her partner, um, Chris, at that time, who her writing partner, um, coined Javanka, but they actually called it Javanka because this was way before the White House, right? Right. Just when they were around New York because like vajazzling was like a thing at the time and they felt like Javanka was too close to like vajazzling. Javanka would would be a classier nickname, but of course now everybody just calls him Javanka. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of great stuff in there. I, I love that. I, I love the podcast. The experience was intense and very difficult. And, um, and uh, you know, I think uh, it just taught me that the reason people do true crime and podcasts is you need the stakes to be so high. And, like, who is Ivanka, which is basically the question, like, is she a, is she a, is she a force for good or evil? It was like not enough of a question because it was like pretty obvious what the answer was. <laughs> right. <be>. Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah. She sucks. Yeah. yeah exactly. Well, I, I mean, yeah, that's actually a really good point. But I th- still think, having said that, it was great. And I, I feel like there's a hundred percent chance that she listened to it. Right. She had to have listened to it. Yeah. No. Definitely a hundred. If if only to try to identify who <laughs> the sources were. So you, a few years ago, you wrote a book called Blurred Lines, Rethinking Sex, Power, and Consent on Campus, which is a book about young women and uh, consent, which super interesting. I, I wonder, you know, we, we don't have time to deep dive into the book as much as I'd love, but we don't have time to deep dive into the book as much as I'd like, but I would, I, I'm interested in something that you said, I think on Lance's podcast about sort of young women now, like Generation Z women being similar to sort of like the feminists of the 70s. It's sort of like it's it's almost a full circle moment. So I'm curious more about, you know, how you see this generation of women and what are the things that are important to them and and how are they responding to sort of the Me Too moment and where we are now? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, the... You know, there's been like wild shifts really in the way that women are allowed to speak about consent and sexual assault and sexual harassment and gender politics and identity. And I mean, it's like a 180 from um, really any time in the past except for the, you know, what's considered the second wave, which is 
you know, the kind of 70 feminism, right? 60s starting a little bit in the 60s and 70 feminism where um, there was a group of, of women who were progressive, radical, whatever you want to call them. And they outlined the way they wanted all of this to be. And in a lot of ways were just using their playbook, um, except that now um, we use it to talk about people in general who are, you know, men or however identifying women or blah, 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 blah. Like not, you know, that, those, that early movement was really just about people who were born female, period, full stop. Right. Um, there was no like sense in which a woman could be a sexual harasser of a man. Right. right. Um, which is obviously, you know, different now. Um, but yeah, it was a was an interesting project to do kind of before Me Too even really happened, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you were sort of ahead of your time. Mm-hmm. Last thing I want to mention, because I just could not interview you without mentioning it. You and I have something mm-hmm. in common. We both spent probably more time than we wanted to with Artie Lang. <laughs> I ah, shot okay. a presentation <laughs> reel with him years ago when he was in the throes of trying to get sober right before he stabbed himself. I think he was, I think you interviewed him before me because I want to say he mentioned you over the course of the many days I spent with him. But mm-hmm. who did I, you interview him for? We were shopping a sizzle reel called Saving Artie Lang. And it was going to mm-hmm. be all about how he was trying to get sober and clean up his act. And he had these two cleaners with him all the time. He is Got a it. really complicated person. I want to read you a quote that you said. I don't remember where you said it, but so he basically calls you an uppity bitch. You know, he doesn't like women, especially smart women. Mm-hmm. So smart, confident women. So he, you know, of course, ran his mouth about you. And then you mm-hmm. said he's a crazy attention seeker. He wants the attention. It's like a huge daddy complex with Howard Stern. I thought that was so smart because that really, I, I never thought of him that way before. Cause I just think he has so many issues. It's hard to parse out what's going on with him. Mm-hmm. What was what's your he, impression? What's he up to now? What's well, he up to now? Do you every know? once in a while I deep dive on him and I did it recently he went silent for like eight months, which, you know, is never a good sign with Artie. But he claims mm-hmm. that it was, you know, he's been sober and he just went off the grid to stay clean. So you never know. I think Artie's a pathological liar. So mm-hmm. with, you know, is not uncommon with, which is not uncommon sometimes with addicts of his degree. But I never know. Like, I, I, I guess my question is, and I don't know if you're comfortable commenting on this mm-hmm. but I just to our point about the end game with Ivanka I never know with Artie if like deep down he's actually a good person or not mm-hmm. do you have an opinion <laughs> yeah I mean I don't know there's so many layers there um he definitely really didn't like me I mean I think the thing is that like I somehow got blamed that he um was like shooting up when a Rolling Stone photographer came to take his picture like somehow that was my fault that resulted in this horrible picture of him and 
I people should Google it, by the really, way. The picture in question is very rough from the Rolling Stone yeah. article. Right. So I'm still kind of convinced, having done journalism for a really long time, if the picture is flattering, you can really say anything in the article and nobody cares, <laughs> you know? So That's it's awesome. just like nobody remembers anything except like who's, who's actually like written about, except for that picture. Um, but, you know, I don't know. I mean, I... I, 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 you know, I haven't thought about him in a long time. Here's the truth. And I'm not just saying that to be like bitchy, which I'm sure he would take that as like, oh yeah, right. You know, okay. That's the ultimate bitch move. Right. Like that's what sometimes when people say, when people are like, you know, unhappy about something that's written about them or whatever, it's like, you know, uh, I'm like, well, I'm, you know, I'm sorry you didn't like the article. It's like, well, you know, I didn't really care or I just felt bad, you know, cause you embarrass yourself. Right. Like that's the kind of line you'll get back sometimes, or, you know, the celebrity line or the person who's trying to be like, just so you know, I'm really way more powerful than you is like, um, yeah, well, I was really disappointed in the article. Right. They'll never say like, I was really hurt. They'll just say like, I was really disappointed, which means like, I won't even give you the gratification cause I'm so much more important. Um, and so, I don't know. I mean, I feel like he's a, a person who the first layer of the onion is so bad that you have to ask, like, you know, are the subsequent layers in which he um, shows himself to be a super sensitive guy, like, are those, are those, um, like, is the bottom layer actually a bad layer also? And those sensitivity layers are really kind of manipulation by this person who at core knows exactly what he's doing. Um, I mean, it's hard with addicts again, like, cause you, cause you know that they're so mixed up and messed up in their heads that all those layers can get mixed and matched. Um, so I, I wouldn't be able to answer that. I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. Jury's out to be honest. I really don't know. I want to think mm-hmm. that people are just damaged and at their core, they're good. I just, I don't, I don't know with him. I will say this. He is a cockroach. I mean, the fact that he's still alive is unbelievable. So I'll give him that. Mm-hmm. Pretty yeah, very much. So last very question, much. real yeah. last question. So you're, mm-hmm. I think one of the few writers, really accomplished writers, who's also been able to break into the podcast space in, in a real way, like someone who can really tell a story sounds entertaining, sounds like how a storyteller would tell. I think it's hard. A lot of times writers are Mm -hmm. writers for a reason, you know, they don't, that's not their Mm -hmm. thing in terms of the trajectory of your career and where you see it going is writing. I'm obviously you're writing the podcast, but in terms of journalism, I know you just did a really great piece for Vanity Fair. People should read about the Dulos murder. Is writing going to always sort of be your first thing or would you like to transition into sort of more of the entertainment side with podcasting, et cetera? I don't know. Well, first of all, thank you for saying that because I definitely feel like I still have a lot to learn about podcasting and I'm trying to um, figure it out. Um, well, getting you know, the Zoom really, recorder to work is a huge accomplishment. So I got, I got the Zoom recorder. <laughs> I mean, you're fine. Yeah. You're fine. Everything else is great. I'm gravy. on my way. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I think like the, you know, we started this company, Josh and Matt Share, who's another guy who's a print writer who made the original uh, Over My Dead Body, the 
Tully um, Ooh, season of Over My Dead Body. Um, he, you know, three of us basically with a with a producer started this company because um, we felt like, you know, we weren't going to be able to make the podcasts that we wanted to make with the budgets that we wanted to make them for unless we kind of banded together and created a company because, you know, you have a company too. It's a very interesting thing in podcasting where you're really much in a much better negotiating position if you actually have a company versus just being like, hey, I want to make a podcast. Can <laughs> right. I get a commission with you? You know Absolutely. what I mean? Like, and what, is it, what does it actually take to make a company? Not that much. Like, you know, like, I mean, <laughs> I'm a company, pain, but yeah, exactly. Like, it's like, you, you know, we're just like you're looking around these companies and we're like, they're all helmed basically by business guys or by people who happen to have like a recording setup, you know, yeah. or happen to have like a board or yeah. a studio. Like, okay, well, what? Hold on. <laughs> so, cause you know, I do think in the narrative space, I think, you know, the product is the script. Okay. Yes. Like there's a lot of discussion about how the product is like audio writing and it is, it is definitely audio writing, but it's not audio, anything else. It's an audio script. It's a, it's an ability to write for the ear. That's what you're selling. If you're selling a true crime podcast or anything else. And the idea that it's anything but that is, is unfair, I think. Um, and really minimizes how, what we were saying before, how difficult these scripts are to write. Um, you know, so the, uh, and that's not to say that like a great engineer doesn't bring a lot, a great composer brings a ton, right? Like, but you wouldn't say like, this is the DP's, you know, project. You'll still say like, this is the director's project. And there's, is, you know, I think the jury's out on who the director is exactly for this project. <laughs> Who's the auteur of this? You know, and point. so I think like we, we kind of felt like, you know, we could figure out how to write the script. Um, we don't, we're not like super great at it yet. We're learning like how to do it. And there's people, you know, people at Serial and people who are way better at it, but we are learning how to do it. And we're not bringing a lot of the baggage that people are bringing um, who need it to be like the best thing that was ever on this American life. And we're also not, um, we're not schooled in like the formula. So we're not even going to use the formula. Just right. like forget the formula. Right. I'm not doing it that way. Which is so good. I think, yeah, which is good. And I think make things that are different. Um, and I think like, I will still always do writing and, you know, we'll see what happens with podcasting generally, if it's like a big bubble or how that all goes. Um, you know, I started to do this because magazine writing is a disaster right now. Um, you know, and everybody in the industry will tell you that. And even if like, I'm still on the boat. It's like a Titanic and it's already like many, many stories in the water, you know? Right. So it's but hard you to... have your raft, which is great. I have my raft. My You're on your raft. My raft. <laughs> that, that podcasting yeah. raft is a lifeline. It has been one for me too. So Listen, I love what you're doing. I love reading. I love listening to you. So I'm really appreciative of you doing this. Thank you so much for your time and keep on entertaining us. Yeah, thank you. I, I appreciate you, um, your interest in my work. And like, yeah, I can't wait to like your interviews are excellent. So I'll listen to more and more of them. So oh. thank you. Yay. Cool. All right. Thanks, yeah. Vanessa. Take and care. That is an art too, you know, doing a good interview. It's not that it's, it's not as easy as it looks either. So, so true. All right. <laughs> thank thank you. you so much. <laughs>